Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. But there is there is a, a problem with saying like work-life balance because eventually you you come up with a startup, you you do everything you can do to succeed, and you get sucked into the the work. There is infinite amount of work. And then the question is, how can you get your balance right? Sometimes the answer is you can't. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas We'll learn of their successes and, of course, their failures, and we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. This is part two of my interview with Gil Dabach, the founder of Northbit. Gil sold his business to Magic Leap, the leader in augmented reality technology. So, I, I was... Uh, running weekly with a friend and during the the running sessions we we were actually talking about like computers and hacking and and then one day I told him you know what maybe we should start a company together let's do hacking and and fun stuff together so this is Ariel Shiftan no no it's it's okay. another guy another guy all right it's uh Idolion okay. um and and he said, yeah, let's do it. So when I, when I quit Intigua, I approached him again and I told him, look, now I'm full-time unemployed, so I, I want to pursue our uh, initiative. And, and I did something that in hindsight is, is weird again. Um, I called like 10 people, 10 friends from the army. Now I called the best people I knew in terms of technology, like great technologists. Uh, they got some fame in the army for doing some crazy nice stuff. So I said, these are the people that I want to work with. Because the CEO of Intigua told me something like, uh, look, the problem of yours is that you're always going to be the smart kid in the room and there is nobody else you can learn from. And I said, no way. Like, I know that there are good people I can still learn from. And... I want to work with them because I think learning is, is one of my biggest passions personally. Um, so I, I called these 10 guys and I said, let's, let's meet in our cafe and uh, talk about some, some coffee place and just sit down and talk about the future. So I gathered these people and I told them, look, I want to come up with a company. You are all welcome to join as uh, equal founders. I don't know what it's gonna be. We, we will need to work out together like um, an idea to brainstorm together. And once we, found, we find like a good idea, we'll start to execute. And, um, but I'm, I'm starting full time already. I'm, I'm fully devoted for, for this uh, um, venture. So out of the 10, five agreed to do something. I told them like, look, what we're gonna do is very simple. We, we're gonna start out with renting a place because this is commitment. When somebody is committed, it shows that he's serious and he got skin in the game and then we can start playing. 
So the five of them agreed and we, we rented um, a small office in the center of Tel Aviv. It was an old apartment, but it was good enough for, for our needs or, or more than that. And I always remember the first thing that uh, we actually purchased once we got an office. It was an Xbox machine. right. A coffee machine. <laughs> And uh, TV and sofa, so we can enjoy, enjoy the time. Uh, but you might ask, so how, how can you start with that if, if you, you, you're saying What about serious? desks and computers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, each person had his own laptop, but actually we didn't play a lot at all. But it was just a good feeling to say, I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm my own boss, and this is how I like the office to be, you know? And... The five people, they, they were great uh, technologists and great, great people in terms of characteristics, like people I really liked as, as, as personalities. And I knew one thing about success. I don't know where I learned it, where I picked it up, but I knew one thing. It's, it takes good people and good technologists to succeed. And you know, uh, when, when I tell my stories to, to people, one, one old guy, Uh, in the high-tech industry is around 70 that I happened to meet. He told me, you lack one parameter in the equation. And uh, I was like, yeah, well, what is it? Because I pretty much uh, succeeded. And he said, yeah, you need more luck. And I was, you know what? I, I completely agree. Like, luck is all you need sometimes. And we started the five of us. And What we said we're going to do is to, to, to get to work, to get some money so we can uh, feed ourselves. Doing what? Doing consultancy okay. until we realize what we want to do. So it's going to be a bootstrap company. At the time, I didn't like VCs. I was always saying there are too many bad stories about VCs and they take too much equity for the money they give. And I don't want a boss on my own, uh, you know, yet again. So it's not my style. I'm going to bootstrap my company and, and my partners agreed with it. And we started going to companies. Again, I remember I was a freelance. So I still kept on getting phone calls like, hey, can you come here and there and help us? So I, I converted these phone calls into projects. So before even we, we got the office uh, rented for us we already got projects paying for everything so all, all the Xbox and stuff was <laughs> uh, fully fully paid in advance but the thing was that we, we started to learn what we like to do and we like to, to do technology we didn't like to do products from A to Z we just love to, to play with the technology part of it and we approached CTOs of, of some uh, big Israeli companies and the pitch was simple. Normally I, I told them, look, we are going to solve any engineering problem that you have in your department. And, you know, they, they, they raised their eyebrows and they gave me this face like, who are you? And I was like, look, you have two options. You can try me out. If I succeed, you're going to pay the amount that we both agree on on, on the task. If I don't succeed, then don't pay and you, you're never going to see me again. So even if you give it a try, you're not going to, to, to spend much time on us. So it's worth it, even though we have no credibility for you. From, for you. Um, and then he said, you know what? 
let, let me do a few phone calls here to my developers and see what they are stuck with. So I'm talking about some uh, big uh, internet software uh, company in, in Israel um, and they gave us some, some problem that they had. We solved it actually on the way back, driving back to our office. We already knew how to solve it. But we, we came back. I hope back. we didn't charge by the hour. No, no, it, it was, <laughs> very, it was. very, cheap. <laughs> that's true. It was a fixed, fixed price. It was like 20,000 shekels. And it was the, the best 10 minutes of our, our life making 20,000 shekels. So on the way back, I came up with a solution. Once we reached back to the office, we had a laptop and we actually tested my solution. It worked. And then we were so happy, but we said, okay, if, if we call back immediately, they are not going to pay us. So we need to make a noise, this is how we call it, to show that we actually did some work. Uh, so we, we wrote some code and we did some stuff. And after a few days, we called them back and look, we came up with a solution. So they were happy and, and they paid. And that wasn't it. They gave us another, another task. This task was really interesting because it was a showstopper for their product, meaning that they wanted to launch their product, but something was wrong. There was a software bug inside the product, meaning that they couldn't launch it. Now imagine that we came in and it took us a day or two again to solve the problem. This time, uh, I, I want to say something interesting because the bug was inside a Microsoft feature. Like imagine the code inside Windows had a bug and it was only exposed during the application doing something, um, their application. So Microsoft didn't fix it. They didn't even mind this customer. So we had to come in and fix that bug. Again, it was a Microsoft was, bug it, and Microsoft we solved bug it. that you went to the South, got yeah, it. Yeah, okay. in, in their application. So we solved it and this is just an example of, of our skills because you say, but it was their bug. How, how could, but that's the point. We were really good. Um, and we solved it and they launched. And then they started to realize, okay, maybe these guys are up to something and we can do something with them. And, and this is where we got a big project. It was the first um, like real SOW statement of work. It was a few hundred of thousands of dollars. And it was for us the compelling event to say, okay, now we can establish a real company, like a limited company. At this time, two of the partners decided they are not going to join us for different uh, reasons. And we started uh, the three of us. And Who are the three? So it was Ariel Shiftan mm -hmm. um, and Shimi Gersner. The, the issue was that a year later, uh, Shimi decided that uh, we are not a startup company and we are working too hard for our own good. And he, he, he doesn't see the, the end game in this. So we quit to found his own startup. We, Ariel and I, we decided that we, we're going to continue, even though we, we tried to convince him so hard to stay with us. It didn't work. Um, but as, as the CEO, I know that I'm, I'm very out person in terms of what I demand from people, but first I demand even more for myself. So it's sometimes it, it's hard to live my own life in my own brain because I need high standards all the time. So it's like there is a soldier in your mind telling you, no, it's not good enough, you need more. Again, being competitive, I guess, as it's uh, drawbacks. And... Um, 
we, we continued working and we grew up to become like 15 employees, most of us engineers, full salaries, like full price. Um, imagine we didn't raise a single buck, okay? And you never raised capital from any investors? Right, nothing. Because again, wow. I told you, I don't want VCs on my mind. I want to be free and, and do whatever I think is, is right. And at one time I found myself Remember, I, I, I came up with the company because I said I want to have fun working with people to learn from them. But then I found myself being a CEO of a small company with 15 engineers. And I was doing business development all day long, okay? Meaning I was running from one potential customer to another. Some of them, uh, normally they came to us. But even though they came to us, it didn't mean that we would convert them to, to an actual PO, a purchase order. And uh, we spent around $175,000 a month, okay? That's, that's a lot of money if you don't have any money at the bank. Like, like we didn't raise $2 million and we said, okay, we have one year to, to survive until we, we shut down or raise more or whatever. So meaning that Every month, we had to make sure that we get enough money to cover our expenses. Now That pressure must have been incredible. So the, the pressure was intense. I think at the time, I wasn't aware of um, healthy issues. And, and it wasn't on my mind that it's stressful. I mean, I just lived my work. I didn't know anything else. So... After three years into the game, I said, you know what, I don't, I don't enjoy doing only management and doing biz dev all day long. I think I want to do something else because we saw many startup companies around us with even less, um, less like skilled people succeeding, all right. And we said, we, we want to do it too. We are very capable, we are willing to work out. And, and even at the time, you know, of what we, we reached at that point was very, very nice. But we said, okay, what should we do? And then we decided to go to VCs and to raise capital. But VCs, they don't know what to do with a working consultancy company. They, they want you to be two to four entrepreneurs uh, partnering up to come up with an idea. And this A product. Is, and eventually product, yeah. right? So it, we weren't even close to that. And we, we had a successful and uh, profitable company. So we weren't willing to shut it down in order to just start again from scratch. Um, so we were negotiating with uh, other VCs, more flexible VCs, you know, not, not the American ones, let's put it this way. And by the time we got term sheets, uh, I'm getting a phone call from a friend is the Israeli GM, the general manager of Magic Leap Israel, and he's asking me for um, dropping names of security people. So I'm dropping a few names, and he's like, no, no, no. And then I was thinking twice to myself, and then I said, look, I'm not sure what you're looking for, but maybe we can do the project. So maybe you want to connect me or whatever. He said, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. So a week later, I'm on the phone uh, or Skype talking with the SVP of software, um, one of the guys responsible for a few hundred people inside Magic Leap. And he's interviewing me about software and security and my skills. 
and I'm telling him that I'm a CEO of this small company called Northbeat. And then he's taken aback and I'm like uh, trying to understand what's going on. And then I see him reading my CV instantly for a few seconds and then I realized, okay. And once he got synced, um, he, he started to understand that he's onto something, that there is a team of, at the time we were even already more than 15, somewhere at the ball, ballpark of 15 to 20. And he said, look, I'm, I'm starting here this operating system for augmented reality glasses. And we need somebody who knows security because we need to secure this platform. Again, back to the story of the banking application. So we want to have even more secure system than just an iPhone. Because imagine today, now that we know how the Magic Leap glasses look, we know that they have many cameras and many microphones and it's really... Yeah. So take a step back for one second about Magic Leap because obviously um, the end of the story is that they're They bought you. But uh, tell us about that company. What, what do they do for listeners who, who don't know? So Magically started as a comics and virtual content, content company for, for like cool experiences, like 3D experiences. And, um, you know, the, the vision of the CEO of Ronnie Abovitz was to have X-Wing in real life but through glasses, like holograms. And he wanted to take all the Star Wars scene and to make it part of his own life. And after a couple of years, when Magic Leap was founded in uh, 2012, they decided to shift the company to build actual glasses, which through you can see like holograms or graphical uh, layer, and then you could- Over reality. So you're oh, looking right. at you know, the room in front of you and right. this technology would overlay and sort of inject real images through those glasses right. into that room. So, so the actual lens of, of the glasses are in a way see-through, but on the other end, they could actually present graphics. They were like graphics display. But again, you could see at the time Uh, the, the, the rest of the world through the glasses. So it's kind of very unique lens, right? And, and this is part of uh, Magic Leap's most successful IP. And this is why Magic Leap raised capital of $2.3 billion. $2.3 billion. Before having a product, right? Before that's, having a product. That's wow. one of the biggest uh, events in history, I think, of startups. Um, so, so yeah, we joined... We, we got acquired by Magic Leap and we joined them and became the security team, software security, or everything that is uh, consumer facing because you have some cloud services and stuff like that. So we were responsible for securing them as well. They were building their own operating system or they were integrating? They, they were building their own operating system on top of Linux kernel. So it's pretty much still a lot of work, even though you have a, a ready kernel, it's, it's not much. And, and in, in the sense that you want to build a very um, in, inter, interactive operating system. So you need to do a lot because you want to support lots of, for example, multimedia stuff and all the 3D stuff. And 
and unity framework for the game developers out there today. So in 2008, we, in August 2008, we launched the product. It was ready for um, developers because we believe that developers need to come up. 2018. 2018. 18, yeah. okay. Yeah, I said so. Um, I think it's 2008. All right. Eight? Oh, okay, maybe. I can edit these things together. <laughs> okay. With your voice, no problem. <laughs> And in 2018, then we launched the product. It was ready for developers to build the content of our app store. So in the future, once we draw more consumers, they're gonna have something to enjoy and to play with. I can tell you that personally, you know, the first time I saw um, a demo at Magic Leap, uh, one of the founders showed me the, the demo himself. And he told me something that some people actually feel the touch of, of this virtual content. And I, I was jokingly saying, yeah, they might, they, they, they might be lunatic or something. And so a few months ago, I, I, I played with our own device in the office. And I can tell you that there is one of the demos, it's like visual abstracts going around you. It's with crazy nice music, like the music adds so much dimension to the, to the graphics that together it really convinces your brain that what you're looking at is, is real. It actually exists. And you, you take your hand forward and then you see like lightnings draws to your finger, to the tip of your finger. And then I felt like, like something there, you know, like uh, num not numbness, but... Uh, Tingling. Ting yeah. There we go. And, and I was saying, oh my God, I'm part of these lunatic people who actually feel this <laughs> spiritual stuff, you know? And this is how great the, the product is. So. Just taking a, a side... Uh a side note here. So, so I have a note in front of me that uh, something about Northbit successfully hacking Android's operating system. Right. What happened there? I'm curious. So, we basically we didn't like to do security projects because my own um, moral in in sense that I, I don't want to help anybody whom I'm not sure what they're gonna do with the technology or the product we, we, we give them. Cause you don't wanna weaponize people that you don't trust or something like that. So I said, I'm, I'm staying away from it. But at one time we saw there was so much buzz about specific software vulnerability in Android. And part of the buzz was to, to say, look, we managed to actually exploit this vulnerability. It's not enough to say there is a vulnerability and to scare people. Because we said, okay, we, if, if you really want to scare people, show them that it's real. And not just saying, look, there is a hole in, in the fence, and now where bad people can come through. This is not how it's working. So there is a potential of, of getting robbed or something, or bad people coming into the village, but um, show me, you know what I mean? So one company did something, um, a proof of concept to show that the, the bug is, is real. And what they did was really a, a lab kind of uh, proof of concept. And then we decided, okay, they are, they are still fooling around and it's about time some professionals gonna teach them a lesson. So 
uh, one or two of my researchers in the company sat down for a few months and they walk they walked on what we say the previous POC the proof of concept they call themselves real-life exploitation of the Android vulnerability and we said this is a real real-life exploitation <laughs> of Android and then we released the the code and we released a demo and what we released was a real working um, threat because anybody who could take what we released could use it to weaponize their system and and hack into Android around the world obviously when when you release code like that you make sure that uh, it's not working out of the box because you don't want uh, some clear people, people to, to take it right. of course and uh, that hack actually showed that 95% of Android devices were at risk yeah again the, the Android market is huge it's maybe today it's over 1 billion devices also so the biggest problem with the Android uh, devices is that the old ones they never get software updates so they stay vulnerable at all times even though the, there was a patch uh, for that vulnerability so the, the numbers were like something around 20 to 40 percent of devices around the world are still vulnerable at the time it was um, to, uh, 2016 tell us about Israel Israel is a country that uniquely incubates and builds an unusually large amount of, of successful entrepreneurs. When you think about Israel and the culture here, the environment here, why do you think Israel is so good at that? So actually, there is a good book. It's called Startup Nation, and it really touches this point. And I, I, I feel that they managed to to reason it very well, to explain it very well. And I think it's part of, you know, all the Jews coming from all around the world to found Israel. You may, may, I'm not that fluent on other countries' histories, but I'm sure that there is something very unique about it, like sort of the entrepreneur. Yeah, but now <laughs> we need to start again. So I'm sure that in Israel, uh, it's kind of the spirit of entrepreneurship that all the Jews from around the world came in and, and founded Israel. And this is already part of a DNA that says, look, there is a problem, we need to find a solution. So let's just work it out. And I think that this DNA, um, together with the fact that the army, which is number one priority as, as for the state of Israel to say we are strong, we can protect our own people, and we need to invest a lot of money in technology to become su superior to, to our enemies. And that together with the lack of budget sometimes, the, the need to come up with technological superiority was um, the, was paving the road for the startup industry because people saw that in the army they can do brilliant things and they took the same um, approach and they said, okay, now we can use what we learned in the army not maybe to create weapons but to create software, to create printers or whatever you know that we did here big in Israel and 
it, it just it just works. So, for future entrepreneurs who may be listening to this podcast, what advice would you give them? Um, you know, what, what's what's the most significant lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Somebody who built from scratch, never raised money, successfully exited. What's the lesson that that you would convey to them? It it might sound obvious, but the first point I would say is know what you want to achieve. Because when I started, I didn't know the answer. I just know I want to be successful. I'm I'm success-driven person, but it's not enough. When you start a venture, set a strategy, set a vision, and a vision is not something that is about the implementation. It's something abstract that you always try to reach. And set values of what you want to do and how you want to do it. For example, one of my values was to be a premium company. It's about the service. It's about that if you give documents, they wouldn't have uh, spelling mistakes. It's about how you talk to your customers and how you show them the outcome of your work. It's about everything. It's about even the vendors that you work with. Because if you're premium, you say, I want to bring the best lawyer to, to escort me, and so on. So just know this stuff. And the second thing, it's more tactical. And it might sound yet trivial, but I see many entrepreneurs uh, don't do it. Just bring a secretary the first day, because if there is something that somebody else can do and achieve the same outcome, as you do it, it means that you are wasting your time as a manager because your time is needed to be spent on your business, on your strategy. And if you need to do the day-to-day stuff, somebody else can do it and maybe even better than you do. What is the next chapter in your career? So my my next chapter for me is uh, about self-development. I think that for me, if I have two options, because now I don't work at the moment, out of choice, obviously. I have two options. One, one option is uh, to go and found another startup or company, which is, is the easy part for me, is easy choice, because I know what to do. I'm not saying this startup will succeed, but I know how to start one. And the other choice is just to sit down and do nothing, to be in a status of observing the world and learning and um, changing the way I'm wired with what I don't like anymore in myself. Um, and that's the other part, and this is why I chose it. And I would like also to refer to another point that we didn't touch about stress. I think that today, stress is not, um, is not something that entrepreneurs are aware of. And talking with all my entrepreneurs' friends, each and every of them has something. They will tell you, I went to the hospital because I had this anxiety attack, and um, I have a skin problem because of that, and I'm getting fat because of stress, or I'm getting bald because of stress, or I just have um, stomach problems because of stress. And I had also some stressful uh, times and uh, it affected my health a bit. 
um, not, nothing dangerous, but it still did. And I was realizing that nobody talks about it. People are um, maybe embarrassed, embarrassed to mention it. And I want to change it. And um, I, I want to raise the awareness of, of being stressed. I know one of the things that you do is you, you're involved in coaching kids in 8200 who may become the next generation of, of entrepreneurs. And I imagine this is part of what, of what you talk to them about. Right, I talk about it, but there is, there is a, a problem with saying like uh, work-life balance. Because eventually you, you come up with a startup, you, you do everything you can do to succeed, and you get sucked into the, the work. There is infinite amount of work. And then the question is, how can you get your balance right? Sometimes the answer is you can't. Because if you're not gonna do something at the time, you're gonna lose a, a potential customer. So I have a good friend who told me, look, life is not about balance, life is about trade-offs. And that sometimes the, the work and life balance is really a trade-off. That you need to work and bust your ass until you succeed for a few years. But even then at the time, don't stop going to the gym. Always have some activity to keep you sane, to refresh your mind, and um, still try to do it even if it's hard at times. And, and I know I didn't do it. I know that I failed at it. But the problem for me was that nobody was there to tell me this is what you should do to, to stay um, w with less levels of stressful in your life, you know? Gil Dabach, thank you very much for joining us. This was fascinating. And uh, I'm sure we're going to hear great things from you going forward. And uh, I'm excited to see what the next chapter of your life uh, evolves to become. But I suspect this is not the, uh, the end of your career. I think you're probably at the very beginning. Certainly closer to the beginning than the end. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, good luck. And, and we'll be in touch. And hopefully we'll get you back in the, back in the show when you have your next startup that you've exited. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the senior research analyst is Lior Lebin. If you have a startup that you think we should feature on air, please email me at yigal.marcus at bernstein.com or at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. No good startup in Israel is too big or too small, big, very special thank you to my employer, Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, who has been incredibly supportive of this initiative. And please share these podcasts with your friends, like us on Facebook, and please, please, please rate us on iTunes. Until next time, thank you for listening.